Blog Talk Radio. His name is Q, breaking down every single sport for you. On Thursday nights from 8 to 10, we are the true voice of the fans, so you know we always win. From hoops to football, the video games, baseball, hockey, the NCAA. We give our side, because that's all we know. This is a labor of love. That's why we do this show. From the Merlin Mitten to the Sunshine State, we can talk all day about who's great. Give us a call anytime, 760-539-3269. You know if we could, we would do this every day. Welcome to this episode of Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Sports, sports fans, welcome to another episode of Sports Q&A. I'm Q. And I'm A. And we're in the house April 4th. 2017, the day after the national championship. We will get into that in a moment, but before we get to that, let us talk about how you can stay in contact with us when we're not on the air. Check us out on Twitter at sports underscore QA. Also, sports underscore QA underscore preps. Follow us on Instagram, sports underscore QA. Check us out on Facebook, the Facebook page, uh, the actual account that is, low, L-O-W-E, the letter N, Washington, the Facebook fan page, and the Facebook group, Sports Q&A. Make sure you follow us and follow all the articles and the podcasts and everything in between on our website, www.sportsqanda.com. That is www.sports. Q-A-N-D-A.com. And last but not least, on today, give us a call, 760-539-3269. That is 760-539-3269. What's up, Q? Everything, just uh, dealing with the aftermath of the ending of another college basketball season. Um Wish I could say it was a great game last night. It was a good game, but considering how ticky-tack the, the referees were calling it, it was a choppy game, which led to some some issues with that game. But overall, a great sports week. We have a lot to talk about. Definitely, we'll be, definitely we'll be getting into the, the championship game, what went right, what went wrong for both teams. And I mean, I guess, as always, the hot-button topic, whenever we're finished with 
college basketball and college football is a conversation of these guys, do these guys need to get paid? And, I mean, it, it reared its ugly head. I've had some back and forth today, seen some comments, seen some some, some statements that kind of threw me off. But, I mean, this wasn't on the, the docket, so I'm a I'm a stick to the script per se if we need to. I mean, we can bring it up. I mean, we've talked about it numerous times. Once again, national championship time usually brings out that conversation even more, especially where right immediately following games, you see the NCAA uh, promoting the sales of the championship gear, using the players played in the game. Um, you know, that's that's what we see. That's what happens. Um, it's kind of difficult for this in that whole scenario to see in that change. Um, but there has to be something, and, and we kind of talk about you have people on both on two sides of the fence. You you actually have some people on on both sides of the fence within the side of of, of pain pain players, whereas it's pain players. A, the same fee or paying players based upon their contribution because in the, the reality of it, now you the team wasn't in the national championship. You look at uh, Michigan. Well, Michigan has this season. You had Derek Walton who who carried a, the load with Irvin and 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 Mo and and uh, DJ being kind of the top four players. But you look at a player like Dockage, Dan Dockage's son. Mm-hmm. If they were getting if they were getting paid, would he get paid with everybody else? Or should it be, which I think I saw a tweet from you earlier based upon them being able to make money off themselves. Because here's the reality of it. The real reality of it is I'm gonna say on the low end. Eighty percent of student athletes would not be able to make money off themselves, outside of their family yeah. or groupies. <laughs> so you're looking at a twenty, the eighty twenty rule, where twenty percent are carrying everybody else, and in some sports it's less than that. Because if you do that and you break it upon, well, you can you can earn the money that you that uh, from your sales. Yes, your some fan bases would 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 do that, but some people, you know, that twelve man, uh, the guy to walk on, you know, all those people. Nobody knows who those guys are. Could you imagine Alabama? How many people would go to Alabama instead of Alabama, knowing you know now they'll stay and wait and get one maybe two seasons of playing in five years. Who would stay if I could make money going somewhere else and starting? Right. It, it'll. It'll put, you know, it, it puts too many things up to chance. Um, so once again, compensation. There has to be. I mean, we, you ha- There are some some economic geniuses. Um, but the thing is, is, you have to apply it. It's just too much greed. You can just tell it's the greed. Once again, I don't have an issue with the compensation, but it has to be organized and functioning in a way that works for the benefit of the player because 
in the hand, money in hands of 18, 19-year-olds, and you're talking about, especially you're talking about all-American, McDonald's all-Americans coming in, potentially tens of thousands of dollars is not a good thing on on so many levels. You First, you create that person being a target. They They go to school, but they travel all over the country, and wherever they go to school, there are locals. And there are people that fly. Mm-hmm. It is at, at Eastern Michigan. You know, unfortunately, a football player got killed a couple of years ago. But look at these athletes just in a situation when all of them right now are crying broke. Everybody's crying broke. Yet, athletes are getting robbed. Hell, athletes are doing the robbing sometimes. But when you look at it, it has to be something that you put it into a situation where the money is there, it's accessible for them. It needs to be signed and set up maybe like a. they have to go through so many cycle or circles or, or, or processes to get the money and have access to the money that is more problem than it is. For them. I mean, I'm talking about a large amount. Like they can't go in and take $10,000 out because that's no good for anybody unless it's a family emergency. So, I mean, I'm not as against it as I was before. But it has to be something that's set in stone, and it has to be equal for all sports across gen- all gender, or both genders too. So, and that's the thing nobody's looking at. They're just looking at these top two, maybe three sports. If you're looking at baseball, you're looking at women's basketball. What other sports are bringing in money like that? None. None. And they're they're depending on these other revenue generating sports. And one thing I, I've kind of seen repetitive, like I've been going back and forth with a guy, and he's saying if you don't generate money, then you don't get to pay your players. So you mean that means budgets are year to year. One year, I may make, I may take in a profit because say we don't travel. And I'm gonna use Michigan like you used earlier. Say Michigan didn't do the the far west travel or didn't play in one of those preseason tournaments. So that saves them money. So this year they take in a, a little bit more of a profit so they can pay their players. But next year, what if they go to Maui? What if they go out to Arizona? What if they go to uh, Gonzaga? Those are three West Coast games that cost a little bit more than traveling to uh, Louisville, traveling to Cincinnati. So your budget is going to go higher or you're going to – be over your budget. So that means, oh, those seniors that say Michigan goes to the tournament, has a good showing, maybe even wins the title, so you're telling me the seniors that are on the team don't get that cut of the the, the, the wealth because you went over budget this year? Right. And, and, it's, and, and it's hard to – there is no cut and dry thing with this situation. I mean, we talked about it before. When you have the the budgets that the schools have, and, and only ta- only thing that the, the media tend to re- tends to release is how much these schools get from these bowls. But when we showed it and we talked about it, a lot of these teams are in the red uh, overall on their athletic budget because of um, not making them enough money or it's having to be spread so thin. So the only thing that really helps them are the endowments that. They use 
to do a lot of the things that they do in athletic programs. Because otherwise, they will be dropping sports left and right. But you're not going to see big teams. You see it in smaller schools and smaller conferences. We saw it at what? USF, before they came back, dropping sports. But that's what happens. It happens more often on smaller scale because they can't afford it. There's no money coming in, and this is it. Whereas you can balance it out with money that's just sitting there waiting to be used for a reason or two, and and it goes that way. So it you can't look at it so cut and dry like yeah, but the money's there, uh, or you, so we need to use it. It has to be some form of. Uh, maybe additional stipend or something else, something spread out evenly, or here's here's your flat amount. Everybody gets the same amount for the year. You use it how you use it. I mean, it has to be something that they can work out. But the thing is, is that whoever's working on the, for, as an advocate for the players outside of the uh, of the Northwestern team, they talked about nobody's coming out with a plan. How come nobody's coming out of the plan? I mean, right. these top-notch schools, I mean, if I went to Northwestern, I'm an athlete. Someone, one of my classmates is good. And, man, let's, let, for a project, let's come up with a plan of how student-athletes can get paid. Or, and no, just, I'm going to keep it I'm gonna keep it on the team. You have, mm-hmm. for every guy that you have that's uh, Anthony Walker the second, that's a linebacker for the football team that has NFL dreams that may just spend two or three years in the league, there's four or five or six or seven of his teammates that relish in the fact that they're at Northwestern, they're taking advantage of that Northwestern ac- ac- uh, academic, and they're, they're majoring in economics. They're majoring in finance because they know once my playing days here in Evanston is done, I'm done playing football. So those are the guys you truthfully need to be wondering, okay, what is, why aren't you creating that plan? This is your educational wheelhouse. So where is your thought process to make sure that these guys, your teammates, and you're leaving the legacy for everyone that comes behind them? But that's not a thing. They want theirs when they want theirs, and nobody else, it doesn't matter. You see all these guys, you saw Frank Kaminsky crying yesterday or making comments. You saw there was a a, a DB from Texas A&M yesterday made a comment and, and responded to Dan Dockish, and he catches a lot of flack for some of the stuff he said. I didn't even agree with what he said as far as the, the scholarship. But uh, a top DB from uh, Texas A&M was saying how he was sleeping in his car and hopping from couch to couch. But why? Don't you have <laughs> a housing stipend right. that whether you stay on, in a dorm or whether you get an apartment, that's money that they're giving you that's part of your Roman board that comes back to you. Now, what you do with that afterwards, whatever, but there's no reason for an athlete to not have housing if you're on scholarship. Now, there's guys that may be dealing with some stuff that, oh, or even I'm like, okay, that's where the cost of attendance stipend comes in. There, you should be able to say, okay, I have $500 set aside for this. Because even with Jake Button, his comments, he said, okay, after I pay my rent, my cost of my cost of attendance stipend is almost gone. So mm-hmm. that's where it's like, okay, we're getting too many different conflicting stories, even going back to the whole uh, situation with Shabazz Napier saying, oh, I didn't have anything to eat. Now, I wasn't an athlete. 
I wasn't even a popular guy in college. But when push came to shove, I knew how to make do. I knew how to find people that liked me well enough, whether it was one of my homeboys who had a girl that could cook or I had a female friend that would cook for me. So you're telling me as a star athlete on a team that's nationally known, you can't find one person to say, oh, that you cool with. This ain't even about creeping with, sleeping with none of that. One of your homegirls can't cook for you or she ain't got some homegirls or we'll cook for them, we'll take care of them. If that's the case, you missed the whole college experience, period. Yeah, so exactly. I mean, and even, I mean, they still get, I, I'm, I can't confirm, I'm still sure that they get, if they get a housing stipend, that money is still factored into what they will be paying for uh, their food plan. So mm-hmm. the thing is, is that you decide you want to live like an adult and buy the adult things without actual income coming in. So when the money's gone, the money's gone. So the the issue I have with that is the mismanagement. Okay, you all want to cry broke. Okay, we're going to make it mandatory that all, all athletes that are on full scholarship stay on campus. We, that's a remedy right there. Nobody will ever be broke unless you do something to violate and, and living in the dorm. And then that's a personal problem. Same thing like it would be a regular student. And the thing that they're talking about with regulating the, uh, you know, whether the athletes that are on full ride, whether they can work or not, the thing is, is that uh-huh. full ride, what sport – can you uh, have time to work? What can you find the time to work a 20 or 40 hour a week job and being a full time student? You can't. But you can get in yeah, and that's like- even, and see, that opens up another Pandora's box for those guys who had the, the, the tape job. You showing up to work at a construction site, site, getting paid for 30 hours a week or 30 hours a check, but you only sitting in the, the office sleeping. So that's a whole mm-hmm. other thing. So are these guys really being, if they can work, do you really want them working? Because the last thing, uh, Michigan State, uh, Houston, SMU needs is to have one of their players first working. This guy mm-hmm. blew out his knee lifting something, lifting a heavy box at a company. Yeah. It's, I mean, nothing's going to be perfect, but... I mean, but that's why I guess I look at it, I've always felt that the true, the the only way it could be equal and fair across the board is to have the NCAA foot the bill. And Mm -hmm. we know that's not going to happen because they're greedy. But if they, they're the ones that have enough finances to not only pay the football team, but to pay the softball team to pay the soccer team and pay every athlete and pay them an equal rate across the board, whether you're at Alabama, whether you're at San Diego State, whether you're at Tulane. It's easy for them to say, okay, we're going to raise, I say, Michigan's cost of attendance right now is $4,500 a semester. We bumped that up to maybe – Ten thousand a semester. The NCAA carries that other the other part to get everybody else to ten thousand dollars. So for some schools it may be 
$3,000 a semester. Other schools may even be $7,000 a semester. But we're, if we're looking at the schools, and I think everybody wants to look at the coaches. Oh, the coaches make all this money. They can do that. Like, well, yeah, we know. But so look at corporate America. The balance of CEOs to the worker finances is always going to be off. But when you have an entity that can supplement that income that has nothing to do with these schools, because all these schools aren't the same, because you have some schools that aren't paying their coaches exorbitant amount of money. Right. But then you also look at it this. You have a lot of coaches, a good, especially the big colleges, the coaches' salary is not even coming out of the athletic budget. It's coming from boosters. Right. They're housing, everything. So, you know, it's not coming out of a pot that's taken away from student-athletes. And granted, yes, it has to be, the, the, the compensation has to be proportionate with with today's time. And I think that it has mm-hmm. not been, you know, you had that stipend. That stipend was there. I mean, we <laughs> Well, I was the visit, too. We had no stipend. We had, like, hey, you got... I think I have more of a stipend in the choir than I did on the baseball team. We never got anything individually, but once again, I was a walk-on, so I wasn't a scholarship. Mm-hmm. But once again, it's still with the same thing. But when I, you know, we had a per diem, and, and our we would get twenty dollars. That was our per diem. You make, do what it do. If you find somewhere to eat for five dollars, you got fifteen dollars in your pocket. They do the same thing. I know they do. So it's a. Uh, it's going to forever be an argument, but my thing is I implore people to come up with a plan. You come up with the plan, number one, is going to be a great benefit to to solve a problem that a lot of people feel is a big problem. But you're probably going to end up being very wealthy because especially if you uh, copyright that plan and everything out, I mean, I'm assuming plans can be copywritten, uh, you copyright your plan, and now it's yours, and now you make the NCAA pay you for allowing that plan to be used. But it has to be. And I think that's also part of the issue. I mean, life with a lot of things. We're caught up in the moment. People want to complain, but people don't want solutions. People don't want to work to bring a solution outside of just saying pay the players. Well, pay them what? Who? How often? What's the amount? Is it a cap? Is it a... Is it a trust fund? Is it a annuity? Is it just a, a twenty thousand dollars check at the beginning of the year, and you just tell them to spend for yourself? Going back to my college days, I experienced it as a student because that's how they did us with our meal plan. They gave us a set amount at the beginning of each semester, and no, it was at the it was at the beginning of the month. They gave us maybe three four hundred dollars. And this is what we were supposed to eat with for the whole month. You had guys, you had cats out there by the middle of the month scrounging around begging people for money for their, their meal plan because they used all their food, they ate all their food allotment in the first two weeks. Whereas other people like me, that last week of the month, I'm still sitting with $150. And I'm sitting there, I have to because it doesn't carry over to the next month. So I'm trying to figure, what can I do outside of buying other people lunch? What can I do to spend this money? And that's the same situation. You're going to have guys that handle their money right, but then you're going to have other people that 
when they get that check, they hit in the local mall, they hit in the local strip club, they hit in all this stuff that has nothing to do with that. And then when it comes time to pay their rent, when it comes time to pay their phone bill, when it comes time to do stuff that they really want to do with their money, they're looking around, I don't have any money. I'm broke. I'm a poor college student. I need some help. No, it's mismanagement. I mean, and that's how it is. See, that's funny. I mean, you went to a bigger school, uh, but with ours, we had, like, a certain number of, of, of meals per day. So, like, we had three meals per day. You could eat in the cafeteria in those three meals, or you could eat in the cafeteria, say, twice. And then we had this, this other dining area called the grill where you can go after the cafeteria was closed and get a meal. Like, it, kind of, it was kind of like a fast food place. You get a meal there afterwards. So, but if you didn't use it, you lost it. So it wasn't like that money. And I think now they kind of go in that system now with the money. Because a lot of people, if you don't eat the food, you know, your schedule doesn't allow you. If I'm missing three meals a week, you multiply that by, what is it, a 15-week semester? That's a lot of money. Uh-huh. You can just go to the university. So, I mean, it... It can be fixed. People stop belly aching, be solution based, come up with a plan, talk to all stakeholders and come up with a plan. And and buy into it on a pilot basis. Hey, have a conference, be the first conference. Hey, this is what we're gonna do. And and, and grandfather people in, hey, this is right here is gonna be for this class right here. We'll see how it works. We see financially how it works, all this other stuff. Or do it for a four year basis, a, a pilot for a conference do the case study, do everything else, and then come up in the other conferences and go from there. But the thing is, is that you doing it that way, guess what will happen? It'll affect recruiting. You can't say that it won't. Well, I'm going here because I can get paid. Right. But everybody wants to go. And, and one thing that, that would help if you did that with a conference, those bottom feeders, that was a great opportunity to become better, a whole lot better. Because instead of going here, I could go here. I know for four years I'm getting paid. We can make this great. Kind of like what we talked about, like if a group of guys on basketball go to a, a HBCU, a Division One, it changes the game. But I guess that was our count, uh, our point counterpoint. <laughs> we, we hit both sides of it. But um, right. Well, let's just take the hear from my sponsor. While Landon is over there uh, testing out his lungs, hmm. and uh, we'll be right back, folks. This half-hour sports Q and A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back to second half hour of tonight's episode of Sports Q&A. Make sure you give us a call at 760-539-3269. That is 760-539-3269. So we're going to jump right into the national championship game. That was yesterday, last night. Um, Q, what, what, what's, your, what's your take? What are your takes? Hold on, before we talk, because we didn't get – we didn't get to do the video. So, who did you pick to win that game? 
I picked North Carolina because I had the South okay. Carolina. I had the care battle of the Carolina. Okay. And I think you had Gonzaga now, was winning. Was that over. who you were rooting? But did, as the game went on, was that who you were? Did you find yourself rooting for them, or did you find yourself rooting for Gonzaga? Well, I actually probably found myself rooting for UNC because I just felt Gonzaga, that game was theirs to lose. And it was like, if a big fella could convert one more shot in the paint, it was. Yeah, that's what it was. Come in. Yeah, it was just like, to me, it was like they had everything that was, they were built to beat North Carolina at North Carolina's game which rarely you find a matchup in the championship that those matchups align like that. And they really just didn't take advantage. I mean, people at the end of the day, they, they didn't show up um, at a lot, a lot of levels. And therein you go into the point of the talent level across the board. They had, in all intents and purposes, Gonzaga had the perfect storm that you rarely get due to attrition, due to injury, all types of things, you rarely get that in college basketball where everything, the stars align, and this is it. And they blew that chance. They, I think they blew that chance to still not be viewed as a Cinderella, even though Gonzaga being a Cinderella is going on 20 years. Yeah. And I just think it – I think – the stereotypical way that Gonzaga had always lost in the past is how they lost last night. Mm-hmm. They found a way to lose and give it up, give up the goal at the end of the game. That game was theirs for the taking. It was like North Carolina was like, man, we just we ain't got it. So y'all go ahead and take it. And it was like just a, a battle of manners. No, you take it. No, you take it. No, you take it. And um. That's I think that's just how it came out. I mean, I, I I mean I was just like really like just go ahead, just just win it, Gonzaga win it. I mean it came back came flat in that second half. I'm like okay UNC came to play. Okay maybe this game gonna get better. They're gonna get up and then it was just like lulling me to sleep, missing here, missing there, missing everywhere. I, I was about to now. Do you think part of that that lack of cohesion offensively for both teams? was because of the inability to find a flow with the the constant whistle being blown, or was it just a matter of both teams were off? Because when they – that stretch that you were talking about at, out of the half, when North Carolina went on that run to get up, I think, score the first eight points, they seemed to – okay, this is it. This is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to go for the rest of the game. Then Gonzaga fought back and had that same – Mindset is okay. If we can both play like this from the rest of the point of the game, we'll be okay. But it, we found that 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 stick in the mud moment again, where they just started calling ticky tack fouls. And it's interesting that I watched the. It was the semifinals of the women's final for the Mississippi State game versus the UConn game. And I made this tweet on my personal page. I said, if only the men's games could be officiated like this, we would be so much better because they were letting them girls play. I'm talking about it was contact on both ends. 
it wasn't just the oh okay you, they're giving UConn the advantage or they're giving because this is the the, the David I mean this is the, the Goliath or they're giving uh, Mississippi State advantage because they want David to win it it was across the board it was balanced it was even and it seemed the exact opposite in the championship game for the men. They didn't want them to find that. It was like everything that they thought they could call, they did call. And ironically, the one call that they should have made or at least should have reviewed, they didn't. The the last possession, the second to last possession um, before it broke wide open for North Carolina when uh, Kennedy Meeks went to the floor for a rebound and touched. His hand was out of bounds with the ball between his legs. Now, the question was, did the ball, was the ball touching his legs or not? We don't know, but the ref never reviewed it. I thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, Al, I thought that's why they reviewed, they had instant replay for those moments. Yeah, I mean, they do have it for that moment. His hand was out. Now, he, he was, was paying attention because he snatched it up real quick. And maybe, I mean, but any other time, if it's dual possession and somebody's out of bounds, then that person is out of bounds and the ball goes to the other team. Um, uh-huh. to, to answer your first question before I go to this one, um, there were some, some bad uh, – there were a lot of fouls called. I mean, no question about that. But I think it was kind of an imperfect storm of epic proportion where you look at the way that both these teams play, very similar, clog up the middle – penetrate with your guards in itself is a which is a is a foul fest um uh, ironically it's a foul fest for two of the worst free throw shooting teams i've seen in a long time especially unc but it really kind of drew it in it was kind of like it was almost like the refs read the scouting reports on both these teams and they kind of play to the strengths of both teams, but end up not end up being the Achilles heels of both teams. I mean, all the bigs were in foul, especially Gonzaga. People couldn't drive to the hole, and it the, they really couldn't get into the play, the, the flow of, of the game, especially in the second half when when both teams were in a bonus with like 14 minutes to go in the game. Never in life have I seen that. And, yeah, NCAA probably will go back and say, hey, out of these 40-some-odd fouls, these six weren't fouls. But there were a lot of fouls. Both teams were trying to do the same thing to each other, get the bigs in trouble so then we can drive and just dominate down low with our remaining bigs. But the, the it ended up just being balanced out. And Gonzaga got the short stick when, uh, when Collins fouled out on a stupid foul on his part. Um, but, uh, cause to me, he was the difference maker. He was the athletic yeah. big that, that no, that neither one of the teams really had. And he was putting it on him when he was in that game and getting it to the flow. But, um, you know, when it came to just how that flow was, yeah, the refs, I don't think they took as much control as the players did. And I don't think it would be as bad if, the teams didn't shoot as horribly as they did. I mean, you got a, a team in the championship game, you got one team shooting 33% and another shooting 
One team shooting 42% from three-point land, that's Gonzaga, and North Carolina shooting 14% from free throw, I mean, from three-point land. And both teams shooting under 70% from the line. And the and thing what, is, is... The number, I'm glad you mentioned that. And, mm-hmm. and this, is a, this is a scary number. Both lead guards shot 50% from the free throw line. I've never seen a situation where guards can't shoot free throws. William Goss yeah. went 4-8, and Joe Barry went 4-8. Your shooting guard, your point guards, your shooting guard, that's your job. That should be an easy shot. Any guard, whether it's high school, college, and definitely the pros, that's not shooting at least 78% from the line, I don't – I don't understand how. And for the pros, it, it, it truthfully needs to be about above 83%. But this is why North Carolina should have lost to Oregon. They could mm-hmm. not make free throws. It was just they had the size, and that's why I picked Gonzaga, because I figured, okay, you have you have someone now that can body meet. You have someone now, and you have someone in Karnowski that could Bang with me. You had somebody even in Collins that was another size person. You had Tilly. And, and that's why it was strange when someone mentioned in the pregame, North Carolina's size advantage. I'm like, where? Not up front, not where it truly matters. And we can see, it, even in the numbers, Gonzaga won the rebounding edge. Uh, it yeah. was 49-46. So it, I think what really hurt them, and you mentioned it earlier, was Karnowski having a – a horrible game. He had – if he hits three more of those those bunnies, that changes the outlook of the game. If if, if Williams got hit six or eight free throws, that changes the outlook of the game. You, you have Matthews, uh, Jordan Matthews, to transfer to a second. The guy, only person that really came to play. I mean, Williams got stepped up for at the end. And once again, he dealt with a ankle injury, so that really hampered him that last minute or so in the game. But Zach uh, Collins, like you said, he was the only one that came re- ready to play when he got called on. But he had, I think, if not one, two costly offensive fouls that put him in a position to n- negate his, his flow and then eventually get him eject, I mean, disqualified for the game for five fouls. And it's I don't know. It, this was a North Carolina did what they had to do to win, but this was an ugly game. And I guess this 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 goes back to the, the whole. I mean, you don't have to survive anymore, but win any way you can. I, and I know a lot of North Carolina fans that are on my my Facebook timeline and other timelines. Yeah, they'll admit it wasn't a pretty game, but at the end of the day, they got the. They have the scoring advantage. They they won by by six, and that's all that matters. And I guess my question, transitioning, is somewhat still talking about the game, but where does this now put Roy Williams on that list of current top coaches? Because everybody has something to say about him. Yeah, he had won before, but oh, the, his that that stat team, that first team he won with North Carolina over stat. So this one, uh, it, it wasn't as much of his doing as the players basically doing what they had to do not to lose it. But where do you rank him now 
on that list of top coaches? I mean, in the list of now current coaches? I mean, he to, yeah, to me, coach. right? And, and see, it, when you do the top coaches, it's kind of hard to take out fully take out the historical context of it uh, when you look at coaches that have, you know, won a lot of championships. But to me, with this being, I would, man, I think it's obvious this is his least talented championship team that he's had. Uh-huh. I mean, last last year's team would have ran this team out the gym. Um, yeah. Um, I think that this puts him right at the top in the top two of current coaches. Once again, taking in the historic context of their careers, but also where they are now. Like for instance, Coach K is on the list for everything that Coach K has done, but Coach K hadn't really done too much in a while. You know, he's got – I mean, it's almost like – and maybe it's just me. I'm just kind of waiting to see, okay, when is the coach in waiting, which seems to be capable, going to be named? Because Coach K is kind of definitely at the on the ending part of his, of his career. Um, but I think Roy Williams is, is near the top. I think this helps solidify him with not necessarily winning with – an all-studded team. Granted, Jackson is a stud. Uh, the, the matchup, the uh, matchup nightmares that he that he creates is, is unreal. With his length, he reminds me of Tayshawn, Just kind of the matchups as far as all that length uh-huh. at his position. But um, I think it puts him up there near the top. I think it puts him over Coach K. Um, I think it puts him over Coach uh-huh. K because so much, so much emphasis was done, uh, was, especially dealing with this year, of how, you know, Duke did this to Coach K, I mean, the UNC and blah, 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 blah. And they kind of weathered the storm, came back from last year losing in the worst possible way. I don't care what anybody says, losing on a buzzer beater, worse than getting blown out. And I can attest to this. Just want to give a little side note. Attest to this in my student staff basketball game we had on Friday, which we lost. Just like uh, UNC, I mean, uh, UConn ladies lost, just like the Pistons lost on that day, uh, overtime loss on a, on a buzzer beater three. Tragic. Worst way to lose in life. But I digress is with that being the case, I think that this kind of solidifies them because they lost that. They came back with a less talented team. Granted, the tournament is the tournament. You play, you only play against who you play against, and they willed themselves and got a victory. Some people may call it luck with that Oregon victory, but they got the victory nonetheless. They got the championship, and you have to give credit to the coach for that because the thing is is that he made some adjustments, and you can see the halftime adjustments because if Gonzaga would have just carried on the momentum that they had, people don't forget, remember Gonzaga made a three that was just a millisecond short of counting right before the half. So that momentum that was all Gonzaga's, he came and snatched that away with that 8-0 run, putting his players in that position. And then the other thing, too, later on in that game, uh, in that second half, he chewed Meeks out, put Meeks down on the bench, and what? Who made the two biggest plays in the arguably the two biggest plays in the game? Meeks with mm-hmm. the stealing on consecutive plays. So the thing is, is I think that that's where the coaching 
coaching makes a big difference. I, I also think that his 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 uh his counterpart on the other on other sidelines during the game is in the top five as well. Doing what he's Mark done, Field. Mark Few, yeah. Doing what he's done with the talent that they get. This is the first year that they're getting a, a five star type caliber player. So with that being the case, you've been managing for you've been competing at a high level. You've been doing this so long in a certain way that puts you in in the in the, in the atmosphere with different players because once again it's your coaching that, that gets the players to buy into it. It gets your players to develop in between that first and second year or second and third year to do things that they couldn't do or wouldn't do for other coaches. You see it all the time. You see these perennial teams that are always there. You don't even know players on their squad. Highest highest star is two and a half, and yet still they're coming and playing. Granted, yes, it's a system. Yeah, how many of these guys are, are going to the league? Not many. By the way, once again, I got a little a couple of side notes. Did you see uh, Morrison? <laughs> Did they show him in the game? Yeah. On the dude. Now I know he has uh, diabetes. But I didn't even recognize that it's him because first he, his signature Charles Bronson stash was gone. But he just looked like just a, a regular fan. But it was just – it was that, that just threw me off when I saw him. I actually had to rewind that because I had to put it on pause because I was like, that doesn't look like him, even though he was a flop. But he was a beast in college. But, yeah. And that's the one thing that people have to realize about since the – I've seen a lot of mock drafts and checking the, the, the stock of some players going up and dropping. You had players, oh, with oh Mason and uh, at Kansas. Oh, he's the player of the year. Why isn't he getting drafted? I mean, well, you can be great on one level but not be good enough for the next. I mean, we've seen it in all sports. So I think people just need to let go of this, this transitive mindset that, oh, it's going to automatically – him being a beast transitions to the next level or a guy that may have had some struggles not being able to go to the next level and have some success. I mean, we've seen some of Tom Izzo players that are constrained by his system and his way of doing get to the pros and have a little bit more success because now they're able to free freestyle a little bit more. Or Jim Beheim, you have guys that, bought into the zone just for those four years, but now once they get to the, the next level, they become better players. So, I mean, it, it goes both ways. It's just you have to realize that nothing is guaranteed either way. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is when I view college coaches, I I really try to look at them as, for what they do in college, not what they players do in the pros. Um, mm-hmm. Because when Certain players develop more, uh, you know, once they get out of a system. But then I also look at, and I may be wrong for this, but coaches that get three and four, five stars, McDonald's All-Americans, I look at them differently because, listen, if that's the way that you choose to to recruit and choose to build your team, then you have to be able to coach in the way that's going to get you the results knowing that they're only going to be there for a short term. So that's why Coach Cal 
is not in my top five because he always gets loaded. And then he's cocky as if he's won five championships. Now, granted, he's taken teams to to the Final Four or championship game. Uh-huh. Right. So, and 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 sadly, each each stop, I like him less and less. I liked him in the beginning, but maybe it's just how he recruits and how he leaves programs when he leaves. So, once again, it the coaching. When I view the coaching, I look at it as an aspect of what kind of players that they get. Which recruiting they control, but control, recruiting is also based upon what system that they have and if they can. Here's the thing. You can't have a system that doesn't work and stick to that system and expect to have some real results. So if you you have whatever system you have, that system works, you recruit players in that system, and you get success. And I'll just round out my five because I, I actually did stuff right this time. I wrote it down. So my five, and I actually have six because I got a five, five A and five B, which people are going to find probably find hilarious. But once again, my criteria also takes into fact, like I said, what kind of players the coaches are getting, and still what are they doing? Uh, I do have one coach, or two coaches that are on here without championship. Um, so I got Roy Williams at number one, Coach K number two, Rick Pitino at number three, just slicks to himself. Uh, I got Mark Few at number four, and then 5A, I have Izzo. Uh, it's been a while, but Izzo is still a great coach. Um, no matter how you do it, he gets the benefit of the doubt uh, around March time, like March March month is Izzo month. But and then I got Beeline at, at 5B because I'm looking at you're looking at I'm looking at a five year window. You almost in college basketball when you're looking at coaches, you almost have to look at a, a two to three year window. We're looking at a window of time uh-huh. when players that you have that really were not high ranked player, highly uh, ranked players coming in, did some big things. When you look at 2013, nobody was looking at that from where it is. When Trey Burke came to Michigan, nobody really knew who Trey Burke was. The only thing I knew with Trey Burke right. is that Trey Burke was from an area where my cousin lives, and but I ain't never heard. Nobody never heard of. So the thing is, and you look at players in like Wagner and DJ. Last year you saw saw small flashes of Wagner, like okay, well maybe he could do this. And then you see that next step development. And then now here's the other thing with Beeline, which gave which actually pushed him into my top five at five B, is that. And you and you were a person who kind of pushed his narrative too with us is that. Uh, a lot of the, the success was given to Bakari Alexander and his ability to recruit and his ability to to uh, help players advance. And he's gone to UND. And they still made a hell of a push this in, in, at the end of the season. Um, winning the first Big Ten championship since the first Big Ten championship tournament. So... I just think that those are some of the things, and once again, this is my list, uh, but some of the things that play a part. Uh, granted, yeah, you can live off the champ, the championship, and I'm not saying Izzo is living off the championship. 
but that is always a go-to from those Spartan fans of the championship. But what I'm saying is that consistently your coaching makes a huge difference in the game. That when you look at the coaching matchup, I would say 90% of the time you are the superior coach. And I think that these guys on this list, with the exception of some when they go against each other, are on that list. Yeah. Now, before I give my list, I reason why I started this um, for the win, which is a subsidiary of USA Today, and this was in November, came up with a list of their top 40 basketball coaches. Um, yeah. I'm going to just go back through and shout out a couple of names and some interesting places. They had Coach K at number one, Izzo at two, Calipari at three, Williams at four, Bill Self at five. Uh, uh, going down the line, they had Tony Bennett from Virginia at eight, Mark Few, who you have on your list, at nine, Patino at ten, uh, Sean Miller in Arizona at 11. This is where it gets kind of surprising. Bad Mata from Ohio State at 12. Shaka Smart from Texas at 13. Lon Kruger from Oklahoma at 15, Huggins at 16, Dana Altman at 17, Mike Bray at 18, Tom Crean at 19, and John Beeline at 20. Uh, just, I, wonder, I wish they could go back through and do this list again now that the season is over and some things, a lot of things have changed and a lot of stuff has kind of transpired conversely with what a lot of people think, but I'm going to give my – my, my top guys, um, I still think Coach K is up there for me because mm. until recently, he was the anti-one-and-done. You still you had uh, a couple of guys that would come through his program, but he was able to kind of stave off that, that, that mindset but still have some success because a lot of people think that, oh, if you're not getting that type of talent, then there's how can you win or be successful. And ironically, the thing about it is since he's opened that that box to do it, he's had less success. I mean, he won in 2015 with Jaleel Ogilvy and Justice Winslow, but think about the last two years. He's had a couple of dis- – I mean, the last year had a disappointing uh, tournament run this year, lost losing to South Carolina. He lost to one of those Ivy League schools a couple of years ago. So he's been up and down. Um, but I still give him – he's the the – the elder statesman of the list. And like you said earlier, it may be how many more years is he going to coach? What, five more years, three three to five more years before they really have to say, okay, this is it. Um, Number two, I'm going to put Roy up there. Roy was a guy that before this year, he found ways to lose, like whether calling ill-advised timeouts or not calling timeouts. The the head-to-head was Duke. Um, even though they did lose two games this year, it, it didn't deter them. And they still found, I think, like you said earlier, this was his best coaching job of the championship team because he didn't have the talent that everybody expects or the talent didn't come to play like everybody expected. Um, for me, number three, I'm, I'm going to give it to Izzo. Izzo is that guy that, and not because of the championship, but, but the, the whole consecutive. When he had that streak with the senior class making it to the Final Four, 
that says a lot. That meant that he was willing to, he was getting the players that fit his system, they bought into it, and they found success. Um, just like what uh, Coach K did a few years back, now you find Izzo has jumped on that, that bandwagon for the one and done a little bit more uh, where he knows a guy coming in is possibly done. Where before, all these coaches possibly run the risk of attracting the having the one and done if that guy has great success. But we knew Miles Bridges, even before the season started, if he had a great year, he was out. And that's what pretty much is going to be the case this year. Um, there's still some rumblings that he may come back, but when you look next year, they have another five-star coming in. Uh, and they've already said if he has a good season, he's out. I mean, look at uh, Deontay Davis, the, the big man last year. He didn't have a good season, but he was out, and they kind of figured he was going to have one foot out of there. So he has to be careful with that because you're not building – he's not building what makes him successful, that upperclassman leadership. His best bet is now that if Cassius Winston – uh, uh, Langford and those guys come back and they can at least last to your junior year, then you kind of restock the cover. And that's what messed up the next guy on my list, uh, Beeline. He didn't expect Trey Burke to leave after his sophomore year. He didn't expect. Maybe he saw Glenn Robinson in the third doing it because he was a high expectation guy, but he didn't expect Tim Hardaway to leave after three years. He didn't expect Nick Stauskas to leave after when he left. He didn't expect even Mitch to leave when he did. So those, that group of guys doing that, then you had another group of guys come in that may not have lived up to the expectations of the talent like Ricky Doyle, like Harvey Dawkins, like Cam Chapman that transferred out of the program. So for him to deal with both of those punches from different angles and still have Michigan be up there and be in contention for the Sweet 16 this year, the the great eight a couple of years ago. That says a lot about his coaching. And I'll admit I was kind of selling some stock in him, but this job, after that Ohio State game, I jumped off the bandwagon and quickly had to hop back on during the tournament. And I think that says a lot about him. He's not he's never gonna be that guy that goes after that that does what he has does anything he has to do to get that top recruit. But he's gonna get talent. He's gonna get that guy that may leave after his junior year. Because even now they're looking at DJ Wilson. There's been rumblings and rumors saying that he may be gone. So it, it, it's just I think he does the most with the least and that's why number five, I'm I'm bought into Mark Few. He's earned his respect, and, and the Cinderella slipper is off now. He they can't they can't be considered Cinderella when you have guys from Cal transferring into your program. When you have Williams Goss who played at Washington, which was a a top program as far as attracting talent in the Pac-12, he transferred into Gonzaga. You never heard that before, and these guys and this these this upper talent, this, this level of talent that is in college basketball is recognizing. I mean, even looking at uh, Zach Collins, I've seen some mock drafts where they have him even as a freshman declaring for the draft and being in the, the top 20 picks. So he's finally getting his just due, and he's coming into 
the realm of being that guy that's going to keep Gonzaga up there, and I don't see him leaving. This is unlike with college football, where there's a glass ceiling in success to make it to a BCS bowl, make it to the college football playoff. You can win at uh, Gonzaga. You can win a championship at Butler. You can win a championship even with uh, a middle tier team like a Michigan if you every, if if everything falls in place. And before we move on, because we're up against the eight o'clock break, I just there's it's it's funny that seeing some of these names like the Thad Mata, I'm like, why is he on this list? Even Shaka Smart. I mean, yeah, he had success at VCU, but um, the jury is still out. Lon Kruger, outside of having that that run a couple of years ago with those upper class and having um, Blake Griffin, what has he really done? So it's it's interesting how people determine what's a, a quality coach over a non-quality coach. And I give you, I mean, I respect what Cal is doing because he's laid it out and he says it. This is this is the NBA factory. You're more often than not, you're coming here to be one and done. So they know what is what's up, but I give more. I give a bonus point to those guys that don't get that top talent, but still find ways of succeeding, like a beeline, like a uh, a Mark Few, or even a Tom Izzo for the most part. Right, and I mean that's. I think that's kind of. I think we agree on that. Is that's kind of the difference is what can you do when it really boils down to your coaching as opposed to the athleticism of your players. Fans like seeing the star players, but ain't nothing like a good coach. A good coach that can wheel guys and put guys in position. And I mean, you look at at rosters of some of these teams that had success. I mean, these guys fit a puzzle perfectly. Um, and you have little or no depth outside of those guys is issue. I mean, even Doyle, as much as I hated Doyle coming in the game today, I mean, every time he did. He did his job, which pretty much was the rebound to get put back or so, get one post up or something. But that was what he was needed to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, I guess he feels he has more in the tank than what he was given. Oh, oh you mean Donnell? And I mean Donnell, yeah. But good luck with that, brother. But with I, mean, that, I think he was a he's a grad transfer, so that's a whole different situation. So I don't I don't see him as a guy. He just wants to keep playing basketball. <laughs> yeah, because he probably wasn't in the future plans. But we're gonna go on the break, and then we're gonna come back and talk a little Romo. We'll be right back. This half hour of sports Q and A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Grief, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave. And fan siding. Welcome back to the second hour of tonight's episode of Sports Q&A. Make sure you give us a call at 760-539-3269. At the 760-539-3269. All right. Well, today, a lot of fans out in Q's way and just across the nation, NFL fans, we're shocked and surprised. There were rumors around. The offers were out there. Didn't know what they were going to do. Uh, Jerry Jones talking about, hey, I'll, I'll let uh, Tony Romo audition for any team. And then the next thing you know, in the fell swift, 
Romo's released, and now he is now the starting quarterback for CBS Sports. What's your thoughts on that, Q? I mean, it's, it's interesting because we went from having a situation, like you said, of Jones maybe finally conceding the fact that his 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 little project pet boy wasn't going to be in the in the plans anymore, and they were going to release him tomorrow. All of the rumors, all the speculation coming out of Star and Frisco down the street from me was saying that they were going to release him tomorrow, which would open the door for Houston, Denver, whoever else was interested to sign him and not have to give up anything. But I guess that's not what Romo wanted, and he decided, okay, it's best for me to take a step into this next uh, aspect of my life. And it's just interesting that he goes from the field into the number one analyst spot on CBS. He's replacing Phil Sims. So I saw some people take exception to that. Like how is this guy with no experience going from the the playing field to the penthouse? This, I mean, even in the greatest sense of nepotism, you don't see this. You don't see the guy working in the mail. You don't see the supervisor going into the the, the director's spot. That's a big jump. And I think for true football fans, they're going to be waiting to see what he brings to the table and how he is in that booth. And it's, it's going to be interesting. But as far as the, the football field, I already saw it um, on my timeline on Facebook. Cowboys, there are some Cowboys fans that are glad that he's gone. I mean, you have others that respect his what he brought to the table, notwithstanding the 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 fumble with a snap against Seattle a few years back, the the inability to really get the team to where they needed to be. But I find it surprising that you have Cowboys fans actually glad he's gone. And I made a comment and basically said, like, him and, and and Matt Stafford are two of the most disrespected quarterbacks by their own fan base because I, I'm willing to bet if, if all things being equal and Romo is healthy, there are plenty Lions fans that would take that swap in a heartbeat, and there's plenty Cowboys fans that would take that swap of getting Matt Stafford in a heartbeat. So it's just funny to see how your – how you value your own things in comparison to how other people see that same value, see that same item. And he has the a stat. There's a stat out there for him that kind of sums up but doesn't tell the full story. He has the highest quarterback rating over the last five years with a 105, I think 105.4 rating, and that's over Aaron Rodgers, over Tom Brady, all these guys. But you, this is a guy that you're glad to be gone. I get it. He couldn't stay healthy. I get it. He had the, the box snaps. He had a couple of interceptions in key moments. But this was a guy, when he was on, he was on. And I, I'll admit, I, I saw the game that he played against Philadelphia. He came in and mop up duty against Philadelphia. He was good. He made a couple of throws that I'm like, okay, yeah, he still has it. But I also understand the, the fear and the concern of, being able to hold your body to hold up. All it takes is for him to take another bad, an awkward hit or a, a bad angle on the hit, 
he could be paralyzed. He could be permanently damaged to where he has he's in pain for the rest of his life. And as with all these athletes, all these football players that are exiting the game early, uh, Calvin Johnson um, and a couple other guys, kudos to them to be able to walk away from the game on their own terms, not be forced out of the game. Yeah, and I think the decision for Romo, the it was the best decision for him uh, overall. Thirty-seven years old, like you said, the next hit could be the last hit that can change his life forever. He has to look for, I mean, you know, look out for his family and everything else. Uh, but um, I personally want would would have liked to see what he had left in the tank. Um, but his his decision, I mean, like you said, that the decision for him to leave, yeah, I understand that. Granted, I'm pretty sure CBS and that contract, whenever the, the amounts are released, if they are, uh, pretty good compensation. Uh, not, not as much NFL, but it puts him in a better situation to continue to make that type of money that he's making. Um, but, yeah, that's a lot. I mean, you find there are a lot of people in the media, like you said, that have a huge issue with him coming basically off the street in the world of media, stepping into the number one spot, let alone Phil Sims being fired up. Now, Phil Sims is very opinionated, and he'll let you know how it is and everything else. But you look at who, uh, you know, on on Fox, Troy Aikman is viewed kind of as the number one color guy uh, on uh, on that network. The number three with the number three team and work his way up. Um, arguably, Romo's gonna have more eyes and more controversy with him on him on himself at in the booth than he would sitting in the bench or right or playing for the Cowboys. But the decision that he made was the best decision for himself. Um, and I really can't knock that guy. Like you said, he's able to walk away. You know, granted, he had a lot more injuries, a lot more serious injuries than others, but he's able to walk away on his own terms um, and and go that way. Well, my question is, and this question has come up multiple times uh, and sitting out basically the last two seasons, with the exception of what, five snaps last year, or um, the Hall of Fame question. I was when I was coming home. It was it was ironic that somebody was saying, "Romo, this is exactly." I don't know. Remember what network it was on? Well, he said Romo could have gone to Houston if they would have gotten to the AFC Championship. That would have cemented him going to the Hall of Fame. Now I was looking at Romo and his Hall of and his stats, and if you. Just heard these blind stats of a quarterback that played. I'm not even going to do full season. I'm going to do all seasons outside of the injury. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven seasons, right? And say that this quarterback had a completion uh, percentage of 65.3. 3,000, I mean, 34,183 yards, 248 touchdowns, and 111 interceptions. Would you say that that quarterback is Hall of Famer? 
Nope. And the thing is, it, it, he's definitely borderline stats-wise. And the thing is, is that with Romo, what do you always think about Romo? The two things you think about Romo when you think of Romo, you think of missed opportunity and you think of injury. And some people may think of a potential wasted. Um, but when you when you look at those stats and granted those numbers are good. He's a good he was a good quarterback. Argue his numbers may he may have more touchdowns than some Hall of Fame quarterbacks, I'm sure. His interception rate is about his quarter uh, touchdown interception rate was two to one, a little bit over two to one. Um but I just think overall Tony Romo is just a good quarterback. He was a good quarterback. I mean, if if you compared him to the quarterbacks in his era, so you would compare him to Brady's, Rodgers, the Big Ben's. I'm trying to think who else. I guess Ryan, Stafford would have to fall into that. Um, Who who would you – I mean, where would you you put him amongst his peers? Granted, he probably played uh, in one of the greatest quarterback eras. At least, well, no, I'm not going to say that. Arguably. Where does he fall in, amongst his, his quarterback peers? Right now, I, I would have to say he's good but not great. He's on, he's on that plateau with um, Stafford. Um, Philip Rivers. Who else is up there? Um, I think Matt Ryan making it to the Super Bowl put him slightly above those guys. He's Car- uh, Carson Palmer. All those, all these guys that have have had good seasons, uh, maybe some success in the playoffs, but not when it fully matters. So, I, I think he's the Two point five tier mm-hmm. of that list. Um, you figure the the top guys are Brady, Breeze, Rogers. Um, the next group is Ryan, uh, Russell, Cam. Um, then you have that uh, Alex Smith, um, Matt Stafford, Romo. Uh, the Red Rifle in Cincinnati, uh, Dalton. Oh, move uh, Flacco in that in that second tier, even though he won the Super Bowl. Yeah, and that's the thing. He's kind of, and that's just comparing him to his peers that he played with. So if you put him on a on the scale of all quarterbacks have ever played, he definitely is, like you said. In that good, not great category. And, I mean, that's kind of where it is. I mean, yeah, if I was a fan, if I was a Cowboys fan, I would be happy that Romo was my quarterback. I'd be – we had some good times, not so good times, but every quarterback's like that for the most part. If you are not like that, then you probably are a New England fan for the last 15 years or so. But outside of that fan base – just by everybody's been there. But Romo is, like I said, he's a good quarterback. 
more than serviceable. Uh, had great moments, but not a great quarterback overall. Right. Uh, it just uh, him and not now. It, it just, I think it's unnecessary pressure being put on him in the booth now, because the rumors is, are the rumors are that he may be doing NFL and golf because he's an avid golfer. I think he's a scratch golfer. Um, but the point of people who have put in years and years of of work is kind of like a real slap in the face. Um, putting people in in that position, putting Romo in that position. Um, but there's pretty much nothing you can do. I mean, they're, they're looking at from a ratings point of view, he has a huge. I don't even know if Romo has a huge following, or is it was it the Cowboys that had the following and Romo just happened to be their quarterback. But he's viewed. He they have view him in a high in a, in a high regard. So we shall see what that looks like for Romo. But I think we can agree that the the decision he made was best for him, health wise. Maybe not football wise, but health wise, not a Hall of Famer. You can forget that, Romo. You can you can help put on somebody else's jacket or watch get your own yellow jacket, but not a Hall of Famer. And that's, I think that's kind of where it is with you. I mean, mm-hmm. you be Romo can hold his head up high. He he, I think he left everything he had out there on the field, even throughout the mistakes. Because how many times you 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 you've been in Dallas long enough? How many times do they want to string Romo up? Uh, string Romo up. Too many. Right. But yet and still, when he when he was hot, everybody was on Romo as this is what he you know he's the best quarterback in the league, arguably all that other stuff. But hey, Romo is what Romo does, like the NFL. Surprisingly, with this, I expected a much more of a circus with this, but uh, it kind of was uh, melodramatic, which is fine. Not Dallas-like, but it was fine. Maybe this is Romo-like. But moving on from there, and speaking of fandoms where, and where the line draws in fandoms, because we all know that the Cowboys fan base is crazy, Um. Another fan base, I guess, is crazier, and I think the actual league is crazy, or the or the the, the, the foundation. I don't even know how you would describe it, but the LPGA uh, has some explaining to do because we have seen, and I'm I'm a I'm an avid golfer. I watch golf tournaments, and I've seen it happen before. Matter of fact, I think the last time I saw it happen it was Bubba Watson. Uh, he moved the ball or something. It was a a um, it was a sand trap, but it had been trampled over and it had weeds or something in it. He placed his ball, which you can't replace your ball in the sand trap. He got the penalty that day. But in this situation, Lexi Thompson was leading the tournament. And found out on the 13th hole while leading that she will be assessed a four-stroke penalty 
based on her moving the ball, which was brought to attention by a fan that emailed the LPGA. And the LPGA, instead of acting on it as quickly as possible or just making a statement, yes, this happened, this shouldn't happen, blah, 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 we have to do a better job, uh, woo-woo, they decided to inform Lexi while she was leading that she would lose four strokes and went from first place to second place with only a few holes left to play. What in the hell is wrong with the LPGA? How how how, right. how does how how does this happen? And this president that they just said said is now going to be crazy. You, this can't happen. How how did how, how did they let this happen? How did they let? Oh, my question is, who is running there? First, who? How did the fan find the right email to contact them? And who is running their email and paying that close attention that they sent that email probably on that Saturday night, and they was they got it, they checked the email, and handled it. That day, I know casual people that don't respond that don't really respond to their emails that quick. So for you to have an entity as big as the LPGA to get that email from a fan, I, I guarantee if that email is public knowledge, they get inundated with a lot of random emails. So for you to be able to sort through all that other noise to see that email and know that email was a credible email. Houseway, and then go through the process necessary, checking on the rule, check viewing what actually happened, checking the tape, talking to other people, talking to a committee. Because I guarantee it wasn't just one person making this decision. You did all this within a matter of 24 hours. Once again, Houseway. How? That's what I guess I've seen other sports leagues, other. Other entities belabor these situations and circumstances for days responding to issues. But this moment, they responded. They received, read, and responded within 24 hours. Yeah. Um, Golf is the one sport that the players are really expected to govern themselves. Uh, fully, fully govern themselves, and those are things that you're supposed to catch. If you sign your card and it's incorrect, then there's penalties attached to that and everything else. And um, penalties attached to that and everything else, but. There has to be some checks and balances that there's no instant replay in golf. You have officials you have that are on the on the uh the course who assist in the process of rules and clarification of rules when anything is in question. It is the player's responsibility to bring in the rules person on the on the on the field and ask them any questions that they may have. But 
their situation was outside of that realm. Once the, the card is signed and you move forward, either you don't let that person go out for that last round until you have it cleared, or you just come up with a statement. I mean, sending the, I wouldn't, wouldn't have sent an email if I'm the LPGA to that person to reply. I may have said a call or say, hey, on the on the uh, on the telecast, making an make an announcement that we found, uh, you know, there was an error, blah blah blah. But by the time we were able to investigate it, it was too late. Because I would really have to look, and I do have the rules of golf. I would really have to look as far as telecast uh, uh, events. What's that timeline? Because that's the only way it can be caught is if if it's on TV. So uh-huh. if it's caught on the court, then what? Because the other instances when things were caught, it was caught live, and it was caught. Somebody caught in, and I get, and I think this is the thing with golf, and this is how golf kind of loses its sports credibility with a lot of people. That is kind of encouraged for viewers and players to kind of do the checks and balances. And if you see that, yeah, go ahead. Give us a call. Uh, I'm calling the PGA. Hey, did you see such and such? Uh, he, he didn't do that. Such and such, such, such. Well, that was kind of, you know, not the um, – I don't think that was the intent. But now in today's – Day in society, this kind of fits this thing. So, what's going to be next? I mean, how many Gonzaga fans or UNC fans throughout the game were calling the NCAA complaining about the official? Me, <laughs> you missed that play. They have a reviewing process in place, but that just sets up a whole. Now, basically, you don't need officials because now everything is going to be caught. That's always been, to me, that's always been the beauty of sports. The beauty of sports, even though players and coaches try to work officials, is the human error. The uh-huh. human error is the beauty of sports. A call is missed. Matter of fact, like it was the call on uh, on the uh, uh, on the foul to and one for on Gonzaga when the player. Travel before he got fouled. I mean, due to like four steps, but the foul was called. That kind of supersedes. It's the human error. It's the beauty in it. The, I mean, it's the beauty or it's the, the the defeat is the the it's the ugliness in it. But it's a part that we all accept. Everybody can go and talk about in detail if you play sports the worst call that you ever witnessed or uh, were a part of, right? All day long. Yet and still, it's part of the game, and you move on from that. You can't let the refs determine this. You can't do that. You have to play above that. It's the thing. The only homework I ever had in high school got taken out because of a missed call by the home plate. Oh, there's a play at the plate. I slid. Catcher never caught the ball. Ball was underneath the catcher. Ump couldn't see. Then the catcher just picked up the ball, 
and he called me out. What can I do? Nothing. Be mad. Go back to play. Play the next. I mean, go back to the dugout. Play. Play the next inning. That's pretty much it. So the thing is, it, it, it happens. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. Now, whoever was the person, the DB, who who uh, made the call, so whoever knows that person should just, uh, I ain't going to say stalk that person. But if they're, if you made that call, you're a golfer. Ain't nobody other than a golfer going to make that call. If you play that, then I want you to right. just follow them around on their next round of golf. You play your green fees. You're not playing in their foursome, but you just follow them around in the cart. And you just call everything that they're doing to break the rules and just say, hey, oh, that's a penalty. That's that. And see how it feels. Because it, to me, it was the most asinine thing from fandom that I've seen. That's when you want to be a part of the game. That's the, To me, that's on the equivalent when referees are a bigger part of the game than the game. And I'm not talking about, like, uh, yesterday's game. I'm talking about in the referees taking over, throwing players out of the game, for small things because they want to we, – we all have seen refs like that or umps like that. Right. So, so the thing is that LPGA, you got some things that you need to fix um, because it's tragic. Basically cost the young lady in her, in her, her trip to win a major tournament because of fans, a fan. And granted, yes, in golf, you are responsible, just like the law, of knowing all the rules and regulations and everything else. But, again, didn't know this is it. Before the fan, 13 holes later, a full day later, that's crazy. That's crazy. Like I said, and this is the the thing that, me not being the avid golfer like you and my father and some other my friends are, it's a, it's essentially a double-edged sword. You get penalized for making a mistake, and then because you did not know you made the mistake, you're getting penalized again for signing an incorrect scorecard. So it's, it's just one of those things where if it could have been totally avoided and I've seen, I've heard conversations about this all throughout the day. It's just maybe they should have just, like you, like you said, acknowledge the mistake, but say, okay, we're at the point of is there a statute of limitation of making a call? Now, if you figure that out from somebody that's in the, the grandstand and it's within hours, maybe. But 24, outside of that 24-hour period, are you being able to get the information, research the information, and come to a decision? Nah, you just suck it up and just say, okay, we we missed that, you got lucky, and move on. Because like you said, now nah, you're going to create a, an environment where you have a bunch of cattletails looking for reasons to, oh, let's see, what, let's see if this person messes up so I can imprint myself into this 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 golf tournament, and this is like that that umpire, that ref that you were just talking about, trying to be bigger than the game, and that's not that's not what we watch sports for. That's not what sports is here for. Yeah. Now here's the one thing, and, and I, I I do know this 
playing ignorant role was the best bet for Lexi Thompson because if she admitted that she knew the rule and she did it, she would have been disqualified. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of how the, the rules work with golf and golf. Of you knowingly breaking the rules and you basically falsifying your your, your card, which all well, every amateur golf golfer has has played with or done it themselves, falsified their 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 card based on what they did or what they thought they did or what didn't count or who didn't see what or whatever. But, um, yeah, it was uh, – that was straight Bush League right there. That was that fan and the choice that they chose, which I disagree with wholeheartedly. And uh, you're a habitual line stepper for that one, fan. Have they, have right. they released have they released the, that the, the fan's name? They probably didn't because they I probably know. Anything and yeah, I think they may. This is one of them things. They may have to do the right thing and not release it because if they do, he he or she is going to kind of feel the wrath of the the other side of the golf fan that 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 extra liberal golf fan that hates snitches and hates tattletales. Right. Uh, yeah, because that's anti the golf. Because the majority of golfers need every stroke that they can get, so all that extra snitching and stuff ain't ain't working. But hey, they they are the uh, most highly ethical golf fan that there is out there. But I was saw them like, oh, that looked interesting. Oh, I guess you can do that. And figure out they didn't. Oh, okay. How did they ain't catch that? That would be my question is how did they not catch it? people being out there? Because when she's out there fiddling around with her ball, officials should have been like, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Or as soon as she did it, boom, that this is a penalty because, and it wasn't caught. So, ah, keep it moving. I hate stuff like that. But let's talk about something that's kind of uh, – uh, a lackluster topic because it's the end of an era. Quarter of a century, Detroit where Red Wings had made the playoffs for 25 consecutive years until this year where last week they were officially eliminated from the playoffs. Um, team is pretty bad right now. It's, they're kind of stuck in between a rock and a hard place with a high contract with aging vets and young guys that still need time to develop. Um, but where does the streak two things. Where does the streak um, excuse me where does it rank for you and then what you know, what is it ranking? Like, what does it really mean? Is it, I mean, Red Wings, I can't remember the last championship, maybe 08. I can't remember. Don't give me the line. I kind of checked out on the Red Wings lately, like last five years. But um, what does it rank in all time? And then what does it, what, what place does it hold for you as far as that longevity and making the playoffs? I mean, it's 
considering everything that has happened with that organization, starting off with Scotty Bowman, the the ups and downs, the the transitioning from multiple coaches since then, um, you have to give credit where it is. I mean, because even when you look at San Antonio and their long streak and their consecutive streaks, that was under one coach. And up until last year, that was under a transition of maybe three or four players from David Robinson to Tim Duncan to Kawhi Leonard. So those three players were always kind of tied to it, where with the Red Wings, they you never had that. I mean, you had Steve Eisenman, you had some of the other players that was in between, but there wasn't really a, a true constant there. So for them to still have that success, and, and, and keep it real, the streak should have ended last year. But um, for them to have the success for 25 years in a sport that has a high turnover rate with players going from team to team and, and especially now with the expansion of the uh, the salary cap and things like that, it, it, it says a lot. And as far as Detroit sports, that is a flagship organization. Um, Championship-wise, success-wise, there's no other team by a long shot that can compare with the Red Wings. I mean, the Pistons have had their success, but they've had, even within that 25 years, They've had moments of ineptitude, multiple moments of ineptitude. The Lions, they've had brief moments of success. The Tigers have been a roller coaster. I mean, they're at a, I can't say, they're not up and they're not down, but they are at a plateau now of just above mediocrity. But for the most part, I mean, this took place during the that losing streak. I mean, that, that 119-plus 100, losing season for the Tigers. So out of every sports franchise, even going down to college, the Red Wings have been the staple. And it's unfortunate that because it's hockey, because not even, I don't think a lot of Detroiters being, as, being the demographics of the city, what it is, really appreciate it. Whereas if this was the Pistons, 25 straight years of the playoffs, you couldn't tell Pistons fans nothing. If this was the Lions or half of that, 12 years of making the playoffs, or six straight years of making the playoffs, you couldn't right. tell Lions fans nothing. Even Tigers fans, if you're telling me for 10 straight years they were either making the play- postseason or right there on the on the tip of the, on the brink because you have to look at the fact that they just expanded the playoff uh, the playoff for baseball so it was either you had to win the division or that was it but to be right there for ten straight years Tiger fans Detroit would still be above and beyond ecstatic for that because every other sport has that mixed culture of it baseball is a little less but basketball and football is definitely the is 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 sixty five, forty five. I mean sixty five thirty five as far as black versus white for both other sports, and not more for basketball. But because hockey is still predominantly a white fan base followed sport, 
people, you had some black fans that, okay, the Red Wings won. The Red Wings are doing good. But like you just said, you don't remember the last time they won the Stanley Cup. But if that was the Lions, I guarantee you'd be able to land the last, the when they won the Super Bowl, how many, who they beat to get to the NFC Championship, who they beat, who had the stats and all that stuff, even with basketball, who was the leading score and all that. So I think it will forever be overshadowed despite despite being one of the greatest accomplishments in Detroit sports history. It's not the greatest accomplishment. Yeah, I think in Detroit, uh, Red Wings kind of taken for granted, at least in this generation. If you were born into the generation of the Red Wings being successful or you grew up in it, uh, but fans now because of – them getting in and people were just being excited for that. Kind of like uh, Wayne Fonts Lions, for the most part, outside of that NFC Championship playing game, uh, game they played in, were perennial playoff team. What was it? Like five, four or five times in a 10-year period. Um, uh-huh. But they, you know, couldn't get out of that first round. Couldn't get out of the wild card, all of those other things. So I think they kind of took it for granted. Uh, I mean, when you look through that time period, you had, had I think, the Lions, the Tigers. Now, the Pistons never had the worst record in the league. But they sure had close to the worst record in the league. But you had both of those other franchises have the worst record in the league, Tigers having – over 100 losses multiple times. Lions, of course, going 0-16. And the Red Wings being that, that winner that Detroit fans needed when they needed them to be. Um, so we it should be commended for that. Uh, definitely commended for that. But the thing is, is that it kind of, this is one of the things that most franchises experience like every five to seven years of when you're in that 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 uh, that 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 crossing the in the in the road of do we rebuild or and tear it up or do we just add on to it? And the Red Wings were always able to add vets, overpay vets to come here and still get productive uh, productivity. And now. The situation that pretty much nobody wants to come here because they don't really have a chance. The rumors that in the past it was because nobody wanted to play for Babcock just because of the type of coach that he is. Um, the vets didn't want to come. But it was needed. And I think most fans won't look at it this way, look at it this way, but I think them having to go through what they're going to have to go through now and for the next couple of years is needed as well. Um, I think it makes the franchise look at themselves differently because the franchise could look at itself, bar none, we're the best in the city. I mean, the only other, the, uh, the only other two franchises that can even argue are franchises that are no longer here, and that's the Detroit Shock and the Detroit Drive. Yeah, I uh-huh. took it back. They could look heads and shoulders like, yes, we are the flagship sports team in the city of Detroit. And fans bought into it. 
I mean, the Red Wings got, you know, honestly, had black people watching hockey. Had black people going to hockey games. Black people wearing hockey jerseys. I know back in the 90s, I was rocking my hockey jerseys like crazy. But it was, it, it, it's time for a new change. It's time for a new type of team. And granted, it'll come back and be a destination spot for some free agents in a couple of years once they get to a certain level. If, if the coach turns it around or whatever, whoever the next coach will be, all of those things. I just think it's necessary. It's a true process of what things look like. I mean, you see it in businesses all the time, corporate America. Hey, we have to rebrand ourselves. When you look at things, and it's something, a lot of things people don't pay attention to. Like, the one of the things that really threw me off, and I never, I ain't gone there in a long time, is GFS, Gordon Food Service. Rebranded uh-huh. themselves. Changed the logo, changed the whole thing. You see it all the time. Uh, and it's small things, but it recreates itself, and it brings in a different audience. It brings in new clientele. And that's what the Red Wings have to do. They have the perfect opportunity with Joe Louis Arena or Little Caesars Arena about to come on. So it's kind of perfect timing where fans are going to come because it's a new arena. You get a pass for about two, three years because you're young, a young team, and then you move on from there. And by that time, you'll be making the playoffs. Hey, you get into the second round. That's definitely a big uh, event, a uh, big improvement from where we are now. And I just think that I know I took it for granted to the point that literally – the last five five to seven years, I didn't even really watch the Red Wings during the regular season, but not into the playoffs. And then I would get all in. Right. Like I've been watching it all season. I was kind of like some of your March Madness folks who don't watch nothing but March Madness. That's kind of how I was. But, it uh, you know, it was a great run. I don't think we'll see a run like this in major sports. I don't think again, just do to do the parody. I don't think we'll see it again. Yeah. But it was a great it was a great run. Uh, I was glad I was able to live through it and live in the city where it took place. Um, but I, like I said, I think it's necessary for them to go through whatever they need to go through to get back to being a competitive franchise, and I think they'll do it. Um, but once again, it's a, it's a different game than it was back when they were signing, you know, those 30, the 30-plus the future Hall of Famers uh, to come in and play for a couple seasons to want to play with our, our studs. So uh, it's a great accomplishment. I hold it in high regard. Um, here's a question. It just popped in my head. So what's more impressive, Red Wings 25 years of, uh, of uh, making the playoffs or UConn's 100 plus wins streak, which of course was ended by Texas A&M, but you mean by Mississippi State? Oh yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm really tripping. Yeah, by Mississippi State. <laughs> um, that's tough. I, I would have to, and this is not without trying not to be a homer in this situation. For what I said earlier, I have to give the credit to the Red Wings because 
while there was some roster turnover within that streak, I mean, it, it, I think it started in 2014. So you figure maybe one or two recruiting classes in between that, but you still had the same head coach in Gina Oriema. Um, you still had a, a sport where there's the have and the have not, then you have UConn at the top above all that. Whereas hockey, you have so much change between coaches, players, uh, just expectations within the league, other talent coming into the league that you had to deal with that may have put, that may have made the Red Wings not the best team in hockey, pushed them down a few pegs if they were still good, but they still were competitive enough to get the job done. Whereas, I mean, all it took was one one game to end that streak. And I guarantee if you play that UConn versus Mississippi State game, again, UConn wins easily. They beat them last year by 60 points. Or if you play um, UConn versus South Carolina, UConn wins that game easily. I mean, going back to how the game ended, they it was more about, I think, UConn, even though Mississippi State won that game, UConn kind of slept walked through it. Cause I watched, I think, most after the second quarter on. And there were a lot of opportunities for them to win, but it just seemed as if Mississippi State was the hungrier team. And maybe it's because UConn is so used to teams bowing at their feet because they're so superior that they come to the fourth quarter, they're like, oh, man, we're in a dogfight. We got to play. Right. Overtime, oh, man, we really got to play. And they still were in position to take it to a second overtime. If you listen to the announcers, if you listen to everyone that talked about the game, the point guard for UConn ran the offense too soon. It, I think it may have been 12 seconds left when she decided to drive and miss the layup. So you give your opponent too much time. I think it was even with her missing the shot, it may have been seven seconds left on the clock. That's a situation where, and the announcers calling the game said it, either you score a bucket or there's no time left and you're going to second overtime. But they left that window open. And I think when you're dealing with college basketball, men or women, if you give a team a chance, Anything can happen. We saw last year with Villanova and UNC. UNC just knew, okay, we hit this three, we're going into overtime, we're good. But they left, I think it was 2.4 seconds or 4.4 seconds left on the clock, which mm-hmm. opened the door for Villanova to make that shot. We've seen it. Um, we saw it somewhat in this tournament. You, you leave that space. Uh, who was it that lost in the last second shot recently? Uh, even with Kansas, you you leave the doors open for stuff, and it's like, eh, you get beat by those shots. Yeah, and and yeah, it's a it's a big difference when it's one game to lose, or you have a whole season to lose a streak. And I think, like you said, the one consistent is the coaching stayed the same. A lot of those players stayed the same. The core players stayed the same. Whereas in the Red Wings, you have at least at least four coaches, maybe five coaches during that streak. 
Um, different, of course, different players, different lead players. Um, so it is impressive, even though the UConn thing is the one of the most impressive things that I've seen in a sport that plays multiple games. That's I mean, to me, it would be like the equivalent of an NFL team being undefeated and winning the Super Bowl back to back years. I mean, uh-huh. I think that you know, like phenomenal. So I'm not knocking it, but uh, it's just really a difficult thing because you can be off at any night, and we saw it. Uh, so that was just a, something that was just interesting to me. Uh, but now I know we're in the last few minutes of the show, and I meant to bring this up earlier, but there was a hire of a coach going back home. This is college basketball for those who are listening. Um, Patrick Ewing was brought in, or being brought in to lead Georgetown. Boy, is back to relevancy. They've been up and down the last few years under John Thompson III. They decided to move away from him, and there was some rumblings about it, uh, and the question became who was going to be the coach. We heard Tommy Amaker, we heard some other names, and we heard Ewan. It's like, okay, could he be the answer? Quite possibly. I think sometimes you have to find that guy that may not be the best X's and O's guy, but he's a he's a unifier of the program, and this is somewhat like the Jim Harbaugh hire with Michigan. He's going to galvanize the program because this is one of the most beloved players in Georgetown history. Um, Is he a great coach? That's yet to be seen. But I think what he can do to help out the transition is put together a staff that's diverse, definitely that includes a guy that is a known recruiter because that's what sets you apart in college basketball. And it's not about getting five stars or getting the best of the best. It's getting guys that fit your system. Once you, once he establishes this system, offensively and defensively, it's going to be important to have coaches that buy into it and then coaches that can recruit to fit that system. I mean, being in the Big East, you have Villanova, you have Butler over there that have kind of stepped up. You have a few teams, but there still isn't that obstacle that's keeping Georgetown from getting back to what we've expected to see out of the Hoyas from the early 90s and the, from the mid-80s to the early 90s, the success that they had not only on the court but with big men. Like, who was the last – I mean, uh, Greg Monroe was the last big man to come from Georgetown to have some success on the next level. How long has he been in the league? So this is a chance for uh, you want to right the ship and just bring some, some, some something back to the program that's been missing. What are your thoughts on that, Al? I think it was a, a good hire. Uh, like you said, I think it was a, a more of a hire of getting Georgetown back to Georgetown relevancy. Uh, John Thompson III, I mean, he had, to me, I feel he had the most impossible job that anybody can take. 
Number one, following the legend. Number two, following the legend who's your dad. Um, and the thing was is that <laughs> we joked about this, that Georgetown was always a team that seemed to be, when they were making the tournament, be overranked um, based upon their name. And they always seemed to lose and get upset either in the first or the second round. And we kind of – it was always like each year I was like, I can't trust John Thompson the third. And and the thing is, I don't know if that hire was a the hire that needed to be made or if John Thompson had so much juice in Georgetown that, that it was going to be his son or nobody. And, you know, they had competitive teams. They had some good teams. But just at the end of the day, for whatever reason, they were not getting the typical Georgetown output. I really didn't pay attention to Georgetown's recruiting, but when I listened to the, the recruiting for college basketball, I'm really hearing those top players picking Georgetown. Now you have in my opinion, the best player in the history of Georgetown. Um, and you have some NBA moxie, which he will have. He will be high, uh, it, it will be best for him to have a combination of a former NBA player or coach on his staff as well as somebody who's a great recruiter to give that, you know, it has that same effect that it does on college in college football as well. Um, to add that to your to what you bring, and you don't have to talk about Georgetown from a coach. You don't have to fake the funk like Rich Rod did, you know, like he knew about Michigan, <laughs> and he didn't know that Michigan and Ohio State was the biggest rival. You don't have to fake the funk because you lived it. Granted. The Big East is not what is not what it used to be, but once again, he can talk about bringing Georgetown back to to what it used to be, uh, and I think that's the biggest thing that you want him to be able to bring out, and it's going to really, I think you're going to see within the next two years they'll really make a big jump, and I think like you said, big man, them getting legit big man because. You haven't seen dominant big men really be at the forefront uh, of college basketball. Outside of Anthony Davis, was probably most uh, ballyhooed in, in in a while. But you look at that and you get big man. Because every time I talk about Andre Drummond, the one thing I say is, man, I really – wish we had a big man coach to do it. Man, why don't we just – can't we just hire Patrick Ewing? Why can't we hire somebody else? Patrick Ewing, he he ran a big man clinic for years. If I'm the father of a top 50 big man, Georgetown is now on my list because he's going to be able to, uh-huh. to get me to where I need to, to be, to develop. And people don't look at it that way. Today's parents and athletes, I think, have a little more moxie and are not always blinded by the name, but make decisions based on what's best for them and trying to get into that next level. But if you get some 
quality big men or big men like when they used to have. Who, I'm trying to think who was the big man when they had. When they had the, didn't they have Matumbo and Morning at the same time? Uh-huh. So, I mean, can you imagine having a, a, a front court like that? Talking about guarding the rim. In today's college basketball, you'll dominate. You'll clog up the lane, but you'll dominate. I mean, if, you, if I had if I had uh, Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond with Patrick Ewing as big man as the coach, big man coach, on any level, we should dominate. So, I think it's a great hire. Um, I think it's going to uh, produce some 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 good dividends uh, for Georgetown, make them more relevant. Uh, and is going I mean is giving Patrick Ewing that shot. I mean he he's been some finalists a couple of times in the NBA, been an assistant coach, but I think this is the opportunity and chance that he deserves and he's looking for. And this could be him just sailing off into the sunset, being able to leave whenever he wants to leave. And I mean, in all intents and purposes, really could end up being a bigger legend than his coach. Because if he can lead them to a championship as a play, I mean, he already went to three straight championship games, got a championship in 84, I mean, three straight Final Fours, and then you can come back and do it as a coach? Come on now, they'll change Georgetown to you in town. Literally. <laughs> right. Literally. So I think, I, think it, I think it was a great hire. But with that, granted, folks, this is opening week for Major League Baseball. Tigers did get a win, 63 today, hit three bombs. They're going to be uh, having to smash out some some manufacturers from runs. I don't see them uh, getting uh, going from first to third too often this season. But, hey, it is what it is. Uh, did not get to see today's game. only saw the highlights. But, uh I'm excited. Baseball is a natural progression for me from college basketball to baseball. Baseball gets me to football. And then unless the Tigers are in it, I kind of just get all football. So this is a time where most people complain about. We're a couple of weeks away from the NFL draft. So within the next two weeks, we'll be having our full first-round mock draft. You and I have been playing around and getting in on our favorite first pick website doing our, our mock drafts for different teams. Uh, hopefully one of the, the most recent drafts we've had on there that we'll be able to get for Alliance. But with that, we will be knee-deep in football, especially when it comes to the draft, and talk a little more about baseball and NBA playoffs right around the corner, right around the corner. And we'll talk about who has a chance. Does being getting home court advantage really matter that much? I think time will tell this year. But we'll get more in depth with that. But folks, other than that, we're gonna be out of here. And if you check out our Facebook, I mean our not Facebook, our Twitter page, um have a poll on there. The question I just put Q and I just asked about which streak is more impressive, even though both of them ended. 
the 100 plus wins for UConn women or Red Wings. Bless you. So you can go ahead and just vote on there. And folks, make sure you tune, uh, check out the podcast. It will be on the website tomorrow. If not, go to www.blogtalkradio.com slash sports Q&A, QA, sorry, and subscribe, and then you'll get emails and notifications when it's ready. And make sure you share it with your people. Have them subscribe as well. But until then, we out. We out of here. See you next week, people. Peace.